Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, everyone. As Pastor Chris just shared with you a moment ago, I'm Chris Jones, and I am our church's outreach pastor. And as always, it is good to be up here today with the opportunity to bring today's message. And I always like to say it, but I am just so grateful for you all, our church. If you happen to be watching online today, please engage with us in the chat. We would love to hear from you throughout our service today. Friends, I've got an honest confession to make, and I want to go ahead and get it out there and make that confession right now, and that's this. I know that the At The Movie sermon series is immensely popular here at Coastal, and I know that we've been enjoying this particular summer series for a number of years, but here's my confession. I'm not much of a movie guy. (laughs) I don't know why. Um, It's not that I'm anti-TV nor am I anti-movie. It's just not my thing. Perhaps some people that know me best would probably say it's because of my inability to sit still long enough in order to take in an actual movie. So if you're watching online and you happen to be a fan of movies, we'd love it if you would just drop it in the chat. We'd love to hear from you today. In any case, uh, we just got to check out the, the trailer to Space Jam 2. It will be released this coming Friday. It'll be released in theaters as well as on HBO Max. So if you would like to uh, check that movie out, those will be the ways you can do it next week. But the original Space Jam, if you remember, was released in 1996, and it starred the infamous basketball star Michael Jordan. And it was a box office hit. In fact, it grossed over $250 million worldwide. It was the highest grossing basketball film of all time, and it was the 10th highest grossing film in 1996 when it was released. Now, Space Jam 2, on the other hand, as you just saw, stars another professional basketball elite known as LeBron James. And so LeBron and his young son, Dom, are trapped in this digital space controlled by this rogue AI played by Don Cheadle. And so the gist of the story is that LeBron must get them home safely uh, by leading Bugs Bunny and Lola Bunny and an entire team of Looney Tunes characters on this digitalized basketball court against this powered-up roster of digitized and animated competition. In essence, it is the Toons versus the Goons in this high-stake challenge in LeBron's life. But on a little more serious note, this movie uh, shines a light uh, on the power of just simply being yourself. It's a story of choosing your own destiny as opposed to choosing the destiny that someone else would have for you. And as with all the movies that we've talked about this far in this particular sermon series, there are a number of different spiritual views that we can draw from this film. But there is this reoccurring theme that you find in each one of the trailers, and there are several of them out there, and that is this idea of choosing one's own destiny. You see, there is this great equalizer that is inherent in each and every one of us. You see, we each get one opportunity at life. Now, there are a a ton of different variables that can occur in between death and life, but the fact is we only get one life in which to live. And what's even more interesting than that is the fact that we have a choice as to what we do with this thing called life. So allow me a question, if you will, a question that you can ponder around and maybe consider as we make our way through this message today, and that question is this, how often... Do we think about the idea of leaving behind a lasting and meaningful legacy 
for the generations that are going to come behind us? I would dare say likely, not very often. In fact, can you even remember the last time, if ever, you even considered it? You see, friends, life is ever-changing. It's incredibly fast-paced. Live within a culture that's rapidly evolving, moving oftentimes too fast for us to think about what it is we'd like to leave behind. We're so involved in the whirlwind of life that there's little time and or energy to consider the investment in this thing called a legacy. And what's very interesting is that oftentimes people will reach the end of life and they'll find themselves full of endless regrets. They think things like, if I had only done this, or if I had only done that. And then their thoughts and their concerns drift to, towards those that they're, in fact, are leaving behind. And truth be told, the consideration of what we will leave behind in terms of legacy typically comes when it's too late. But here's the simple truth. And the simple truth is this. We will all leave a legacy behind. Yes, life is full of challenges. There are endless difficulties, misunderstanding. We will not escape a life that is chock full of pains and hurts that we won't escape, as I said. But no matter the ups and downs that we will experience in this life, a legacy you and I will certainly leave behind. And from the moment you and I exit the birth canals of our mothers until the final moments when we breathe our last breaths, we are actively cultivating the legacy that we're going to eventually leave behind. So if we can all agree that at some point we're going to breathe our last breath here on this earth, and if I've managed to capture your attention that we are all leaving behind this thing called a legacy, and that in every single moment of your life we are cultivating our legacies, then the prevailing question we have to ask ourselves is this. What kind of legacy will we leave behind? What will people say about us when we have breathed our last breath here on this earth and then we are gone? Some might be thinking today as I ask that question, who cares? I'll, already, I'll be dead. Others might be thinking, Chris, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s. I've got plenty of time. But if I were a betting man, and if, and if you knew that you were in your final moments of life, Coastal, I'd place my bets on the fact that you'd very much care. You'd want to leave a legacy behind that not only helps your children, but your children's children and their children's children. I'd place my bets on the fact that you'd want your life to benefit the world that comes behind you. And if given a choice, you want to leave a legacy behind that leaves this world a better place. And just like in Space Jam 2 and in Space Jam the original, where there are these two worlds in which to contend with, the real and the animated, there are these two worlds to consider in pursuing the idea of a legacy that we'll leave behind, the earthly and the heavenly. So if we're going to take this journey today to explore this idea of a legacy, after all, we're talking about Space Jam 2, a new legacy, we have to ask ourselves three distinct questions. And the first question is this, will we be true to what others say about us or will we be true to ourselves? In other words, should what others say about us be true about us or should our focus be on what God says about us? Looking back at Space Jam 2, LeBron wanted Dom, his son, to be a professional basketball star. And following in his footsteps, LeBron wanted to coach his son, seeing potential in Dom to rise to greatness on the basketball court. 
Yet Dom wasn't interested in playing the game of basketball in the physical sense. But he wanted to build and play games in the digital, digital sense as a video game developer. LeBron, on the other hand, wanted to define Dom's legacy, even though Dom saw something completely different in himself. And so we're going here for a few moments. We're going to explore the book of Esther. But before we explore the book of Esther, allow me, if you will, to lay down a little bit of foundation and a little bit of context so that we'll be able to apply something that happened so long ago to what it is that we're talking about today. The book of Esther, it's nestled in about 400 to 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And the King Xerxes, or he'll be also synonymously known in the scriptures as King Ahasuerus, rules over the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire would spawn off the Babylonian Empire. And the book of Esther opens with this great six-month-long celebration, culminating in a seven-day party at the elaborately decorated palace. There's drinking and there's celebration, and the Bible describes what amounts to an open bar, and the king is picking up the tab. Let's read together in Esther chapter 1. It says this. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. So here are all these men. They've gathered together, and these boys have been drinking for a week. The Bible describes the king as high in spirits. Modern day translation, he was too drunk to drive and in a place in his drunkenness where he makes the kind of decisions you regret the next morning. And this is exactly what happened. The king makes a drunken, bad decision. He calls for his wife to be paraded in front of these drunken men. He calls for his wife to become this sexual spectacle, and she simply was not having it. Now, if you were to read a little further, you'd find that Queen Vashti's refusal would ultimately cost her her crown. She would be vanished from the king's presence forever and would ultimately be replaced by Esther, who we'll be talking about in just a few moments. We might be tempted to believe in, this, in these passages that Queen Vashti, because of her refusal to go before the king, cost her everything. But I might argue that she didn't lose everything. She didn't lose herself. She could have complied and reduced herself to this object of lust in a fleeting moment, allowing this room full of men to strip her completely of her dignity. But she chose in this moment to essentially sacrifice it all. And for the sake of being true to herself and not with the king, and his drunken men desired for her to be in that moment. Coming back to us a little bit. When we consider the idea, friends, of building a legacy, we too must consider what it means to be true to ourselves. You see, society all too often insists that we be people that we simply cannot be. The world insists that we all be thin and sculpted and above all else, beautiful. People insist on telling us what we should think or how we should think, and any departure from the mainstream norm is considered wrong. And gone are the days where one can think for themselves or express an opinion without an attack. It takes very little to find ourselves just like Queen Vashti, banished from the kingdom because we've chosen a departure or even a little variance from what we've been told to think or how we should act by a world, mind you, that's very much like the drunken world of King Xerxes we've just read about. Coastal, 
If we desire a legacy that positively impacts those we leave behind, we have to stop concerning ourselves with what other people say about us. We have to stop worrying about what others say or do because we have chosen to be who God has created us to be. Let's read a little further. Actually, I want to go to Psalm uh, 139. We'll begin at verse 14. Follow along on the screen, if you will. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Again, friends, God has created you to be you. In you, there is no mistake. You see, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, if you're on the chat right now, chipe in the chat, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Even if your teeth aren't perfectly straight, even if you have a little cellulite on your thighs, even if you're like Chris Jones and you have a little balding happening on top, even if you aren't as smart as you'd like to be or as successful as you'd like to be, friends, God created you to be you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And to build the kind of legacy we're talking about, we must be true to ourselves and be who God creates to be and allow the cards to fall where they may because God sees all and God knows all and he has counted every single day of your life. You are who he wants you to be. And we need to be living it, true to ourselves, just like the psalmist that we just read about, acknowledging how wonderful are his works in all of us. Let's face it, I don't preach as well as Pastor Chris, but that's okay, simply because God wants me to be me. My golf game isn't one Pastor Scott's is, but that's okay, because God simply wants me to be me. And I don't understand, back there in that tech booth, all the buttons and the lights and the switches the way Pastor Ryan does. But that's okay, because God created me and insists on me being me. And here's the truth. God wants you to be you, too. So to consider the idea of legacy, we had to first ask the question, will we be true to what others say about us, or will we be true to ourselves? And the second question is this, will the culture author our legacy? Nearly everything in this life is about choices. And we do talk extensively about choices. And we do thank the Lord for them, right? They have a way of guiding not only our everyday lives, but the lives of the people who are around us. And our choices will affect our legacy, both good and bad, and what we will leave behind for the subsequent generations. We're going to look back at the book of Esther in just a moment. But we're going to fast forward a little bit for the sake of time. This story is indeed a great one. So I would encourage you to go back on your own and read through the book of Esther because it is a good one. And we are only skimming it, so to speak, today. So at this point in the scriptures where I'm getting ready to read, Vashti has been deposed. And Esther, a beautiful young Jewish girl, has taken her place. Esther has been orphaned, having lost her mother and father, and she's been been taken in by an older cousin by the name of Mordecai as his own daughter. Now the king, he absolutely marvels at Esther. In his eyes, she is the perfect replacement to King Vashti. The Bible teaches us that she received special treatment and favor from the king. 
In fact, in chapter two and verse nine, it says she pleased him and won his favor. In verse 15, it says she won the favor of everyone who saw her. Essentially, Esther had it all to include a national holiday celebrated on her behalf and a crown in which she was able to place on her head. However, a problem arises as there is this plot to assassinate the entire Jewish people. An evil man by the name of Haman conspires and then persuades the king to sign an irrevocable decree to slaughter all the Israelites, not knowing Esther, his own queen herself, was a Jew. Let's read a little further in Esther 3. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of other, from other people. They do not keep the king's laws, so it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you. The people also do with them as it seems good to you. It goes without saying, word travels very quickly across the provinces. And many of the Jews receive word and immediately begin the process of mourning and weeping and fasting. And Mordecai, just like all the other Jews, was in a state of mourning as well. Esther gets word and she sends one of the king's eunuchs out to find Mordecai in which to comfort him. We'll move to Esther chapter four. Let's read together. It says this. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Now, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So as we've already shared, Esther has everything. She is strikingly beautiful, and all the people marveled her. She even had the king's favor. She had riches and was far removed from the life that she had once known. There was a level of comfort that she had never known before. She had gained notoriety, wealth, and influence. But then there's this element called fear. Esther knows that in spite of this special favor, she simply cannot walk into the king's presence and see him whenever she wants. Because in doing so, it could very well cost her her life. So she chooses in this particular moment that intervening on the behalf of the Jewish people was not a possibility. In essence, at this particular place where we're reading in the scriptures, she chooses a legacy of safety and comfort. She chooses in this moment that her legacy will be one from watching from a distance, holding on to what she knows versus, versus a venture into something that she does not. 
She chooses a legacy that coincides with the culture in which she is living, with the path and the purpose that God has already called out, carved out for her life. Now, you and I, we might be tempted to say, wake up, girl. You need to do something. You're the queen, and your people are about to be slaughtered. We might even be tempted to say, I would certainly do something different if I were Esther. But will we really? Too often, our legacies, friends, are built around the things that our culture celebrates. Think about these examples. Many of us pour countless hours and energy into building careers. We sacrifice not only our time often, but our friends and family on the altars of occupation. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with a career or providing for yourself or your family. In fact, the Bible commands each and every one of us to work. But the painful reality is this. If you lose your job or if you choose to work yourself to death in the name of career, tomorrow someone else will occupy your office with the spectacular view of the employee of the month's parking spot. Another example that comes to mind is with our homes. We fight and we scrape and we work to oftentimes pay unreasonable mortgages, to have a nicer home than our neighbor's, with a beautifully manicured lawn, working longer hours so we can afford to stay just one step ahead of our neighbor, only to have someone else come into that very same home and put their feet on the living room table after we are dead and gone. And then there's money. The culture leads us to believe that if you've got money, you got everything you need. And our culture encourages us to fight relentlessly, to accumulate more, to sacrifice our legacies for it. But the trap with money is that enough? It's never enough. Money is the great lie that in the sense that when you are gone, someone else gets to spend what you obtained in spite of what you forfeited to obtain it. And lastly, there's notoriety. Let me ask a question. Anyone know who John Wooden is? How about Bill Russell? If you're watching online, you're engaging in the chat right now, let us know who John Wooden or Bill Russell is. But I don't hear anybody saying too much here in the room, so I'll tell you this. They were once well-known basketball players. Their legacies at the time was basketball. Now, most of us don't know who they are. They're essentially long forgotten. Now, make no mistake. LeBron James is indeed a talented basketball star, and Michael Jordan is another legendary star in the game. And they've made their fortunes, and they've made their for fortunes not only on, court, on the court, but also on the big screen. However, what will become of their legacies over the course of time? I'll say this. We don't remember John Wooden or Bill Russell today, and will we ultimately reach a place where we don't know LeBron James or Michael Jordan either? More importantly, consider your own legacy. What are you building today and how will it stand across the course of time? It's a very sobering thought, right? Now, I know I'm not sharing anything with you that you haven't already heard or already know. But I know that I've found in my own life and in my own spiritual walk that we need to be reminded of what we have labeled the simple things to get us to think and, if need be, redirect our lives. Friends, what is your legacy today? And is there a chain, need to change in direction? So we've asked the questions. Will we be true to ourselves? Or will culture author our legacy? And then here's the final question. 
Will we allow God to author our legacy? You see, we already understand the danger of what people think and say about us as a driving force behind the creation of our legacy. We already know the culture is rapidly changing and demands our attention and are conforming to its varying standards. But what if we were to entertain, even just for a moment, allowing God to write our stories? Allowing him to author our legacy in a way that it leaves real meaning and value behind for the people who will come behind us. A legacy, if you will, that will stand the course of time, makes our world a better place, helps others to be better disciples of Jesus. Would you be interested? We're going to spend a final few moments in the story of Esther. And Esther has already sent word back to Mordecai that this isn't my fight. She thinks that there's entirely too much at stake for her at this point personally. There's risk of not only losing her position as queen, but there's the risk of her also losing her own life. Her culture teaches her that although she is queen with just innumerable amounts of privilege, she can't just waltz into the king's presence. But I want you to listen to Mordecai's response in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai then went away and did everything Esther had ordered him. It goes without saying, when God has a plan, you can be rest assured he is going to implement it. His will will always be done. And Esther's choice in this particular situation is to simply be a participant in the plan of God or not. And as we just read, Esther makes the decision to engage in the deliverance of her own people. And because of it, we have the privilege and the opportunity to read about her today. And Esther's legacy lives on and will live on. The alternative or her legacy would be long forgotten by now. You'll have to read on to see how the story ends, but I will tell you that it does end favorably. The bad guys are brought to justice, God's people are saved, and the name of Queen Esther lives on for us as an example to choosing a legacy that has been authored by God. What about us? What will we choose? God has a plan and legacy and a story that has been perfectly prepared for every one of us. And I love the most famous words in the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. So what are we pursuing today? And more importantly, will it live on long after we are gone? Do we need to stop right now as we are actively building this legacy and then turn and head in a different direction? Is today the day for a better legacy? Is today the day where we leave something long-lasting behind for our children and our children's children? I cannot answer that question for you. This is a question for you and the Lord. But I do know this. Our church is filled with people who have been blessed with education and skills that allow them to accumulate wealth, notoriety, and possessions. 
But it is those same education and those same skills which can be used by God if we're open to it and willing to leave behind a legacy that will last long after we are all gone. So how about it? If you're a doctor here in Charleston and God calls you overseas, will you go? If you're an educator and called by God, would you take those skills to some distant war-torn country to potentially help thousands of impoverished children? If you're a food and beverage professional and you were called by God to feed both the poor and the hungry, would you fire up the stoves to do it? Let me share a quick story here in closing. Many weeks ago, I got a call back, I got a call here at the church from an employee of a roofing company. Before I go any further, let me lay down a disclaimer. This was not a decision maker of this company. It was just an employee of the company. She proceeded to tell me on the phone how a customer, an aging, disabled veteran, desperately needed roofing work. He was poor and unable to fund the work that needed to be, be done, but the, de- the work desperately needed to be done on his home. She then proceeded to inquire of me if I knew of any available resources to assist this gentleman. And I have to admit, in the moment, the first thing that came to my mind was, who is in a better place to assist a man who needed roofing work and couldn't afford to pay for it than a roofing company. Now, I don't share this story to poo-poo on anyone. After all, the reality is this. Businesses are in the business of making money. But my point is this. What kind of legacy would we leave behind if we all took what God gives us and allow him to be the author of our legacies with it? What kind of world would we experience if our legacies were centered on others and not just ourselves and those who dwell in our immediate circles? How much longer would our legacies live long after we are gone if they were those that were not written by our own hands but written by the hand of God Almighty? Will our legacies live on like that of Esther? Or will our legacies die shortly after us while others pilfer through what we've left behind? definitely gives us something to think about, right? And I hope thinking and then moving is what we will do as a church to move toward this idea of building strong legacies that will indeed live long after we are gone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, we are just so thankful for your grace, for your mercy, for your love for us. Lord, we are incredibly grateful, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to make choices in our lives, Lord, especially the ones, Lord, that could potentially allow us, Lord, like Esther, to leave behind a long-lasting legacy, a legacy, Lord, that would benefit not only our children but the entire world, Father. And so, Lord, our prayer is simply this. Help us, Lord, to maintain the right perspective, Lord, to know that this life is fleeting and it will come to an end, we are blessed with an incredible opportunity to make this world and to leave this world a better place. And Father, we know that in order to leave a long-lasting legacy, we have to first know you. And so, Lord, our prayer is simply this, that there would be anyone whether they be watching online or they're here in person today, who either have never accepted you as Lord and Savior, or if they've drifted away even for a season of time, that they would simply pray a prayer like this. 
Father, forgive me. I too want to leave behind a long-lasting legacy for my children, for my children's children, and for this world eventually one day I'm going to leave behind. Lord, I accept and receive, Father, your gift of salvation and the work that you've done upon the cross of Calvary that I might enjoy eternal life with you. And Father, we pray that those who would pray that prayer, Lord, you would receive them unto yourself and that, Lord, you would begin the process of renewing them, Lord, from the inside out and that from this day forward, oh, their legacies, Lord, would be those like Esther and even beyond. Lord, bless our church. Lord, bless our pastor. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to allow us, Lord, to be the generous and serving church, Lord, you have called us to be. May we impact, Lord, not only our community, but the world and beyond. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.